The Bible teaches living by the day, and we're day laborers for our Lord. Uh, whether we would want that to be otherwise or not, that's the way it is. That's the way it is in the very nature of the case. We sometimes joke about the lady who explained that life gets so daily. But the truth of the matter is, that's really the only way we can live for Him. It's a day-to-day thing. And I want to think with you this evening for a little while about daily Christianity. A fellow was talking to a friend, and he said, I was working part-time, and I got fired. His buddy said, how come? He said, it's a full-time job. Well, we've got folks in the body that have needed to learn that Christianity is really a full-time job. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthily of the calling wherewith you've been called, with all lowliness, meekness, and so on. The King James translates that, walk worthily of the vocation. Wherewith you've been called. Calling may be a, a better rendering, but I'd like to emphasize that as translating the King James. Walk worthy of the vocation. Christianity is not an avocation. You know, a lot of us have some avocations, and I think that's fine. I believe all work and no play not only will make Jack a dull boy, ultimately will kill Jack. And I think even the Word teaches that there ought to be a respite from work. You know, Jesus tells them in Mark, Come ye apart and let's rest a while. Sometimes we just come apart. He said, let's come apart and rest. So we all have some avocation. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's tennis. Maybe it's photography. Maybe it's this or that. Fine to have some avocations, but there's something desperately wrong if Christianity is that. Sort of an avocation. Maybe a one day a week or one or two or three hours a week sort of thing. That's not the picture that we have in the book at all. It's full time. It's not part time. It's a daily thing, and I want to emphasize some of those daily activities, attributes that characterize the early church and ought to characterize us. Somebody has said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, and what's done for Christ must be done daily. It's not a matter of certain mountain peak events, a few of those through a lifetime, And that's what really counts for Christ, but it's a matter of day by day, consistently, persistently, with this uh, daily devotion, serving our Lord. James Russell Lowell put it like this, Life is a sheet of paper white upon which each of us may write. His line or two, and then comes night. Greatly began, though thou hast time for but a line, be that sublime. Not failure, but low aim is crime. Aim high. But understand that with all your goals and with all your aspirations, what you do for Him must be done daily. Daily. It's a vocation. It's not part-time, it's full-time. And this world, I think, is hungering to see people who confess their Lord, not just with their lips on remote occasions, but daily with their lives. So that there is that continual and sometimes almost irresistible impact of the life Day after day after day. Sufficient unto the day. Teach us to number our days. Let's look at some of the dailies in Scripture. Number one, daily delight. Daily delight. In Acts 2 and 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and finding favor with all the people. I've had folks, you know, want to know, well, what about Wednesday night? Well, friend, let me tell you something. The early church was active daily. Spiritual activity was a continuing thing for them day by day. 
The American Standard translates it. Day by day, Acts 2.46, with one accord, steadfastly, in the temple, and from house to house. They broke bread and they ate their meat or food with gladness, daily delight. It wasn't a dreary drudgery. It wasn't, you know, the kind of thing that, uh, uh, the kind of attitude, I've taken some tests in school, and I have to admit, I didn't just go off skipping and humming, you know. I just said, well, I just have to get this thing over with and roll with the punches. And that's the way some folks approached their service to Christ. With early Christians, it was a daily delight. Eating their food, their meat with gladness. Daily spiritual activity. And that leads, understandably, to what I'd like to call daily development. That ought to be a goal of each of us individually. Growth, development, moving more and more into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, as Paul will put it in Ephesians chapter 4, you remember, at about verse 13. But I'd like to think also of daily development congregationally. Acts 16, verse 5. Acts 16, verse 5. The churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. There's that word again, daily. Established in the faith. The King James has it. And increased in number daily. Look at the order there. Spiritual growth first, number one. That ought to be a chief concern. Let's edify. If we'll edify, we'll evangelize. If we don't edify, we're going to petrify. So we ought to be concerned about spiritual development and spiritual growth. We have these home studies going on on Thursday nights right now. That'd be a good time for your own daily development. That'd be an opportunity to get closer to what we see in the first century church. Daily spiritual activity. Daily de- uh, delight. Rejoicing in the Lord always. Philippians 4.4. 4. Now here in Acts 16, the churches increased in faith, were strengthened in the faith. King James established in the faith and increased in number daily. And that reminds me of Acts 2 at 47. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, those that were being saved. You know something, if we were really sowing the seeds of the kingdom, there would be a kind of harvest going on almost continually, virtually daily. The church is increased in faith and in number daily. There's some thrilling progress reports in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, they that gladly received His word were baptized, and there were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 2.41, 3,000. Acts 4 and 4, the number of the men that believed were about... 5,000, 5,000 men, believers. That doesn't count everybody. Acts 4, verse 4. Acts 6, verse 7, a great company of the priests became obedient to the faith. And then along with these progress reports, let's add Acts 16, 5. They were strengthened in the faith. The churches, the congregations were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Daily development. You know why you have that daily growth? That daily increase, that daily development. I'll tell you one reason why you had a daily declaration. The teaching of the Word and the preaching of the Word was not a a once a week kind of thing. It was not limited just to church buildings. Historically, it appears the church really didn't have those till about the third century. They may have met in public buildings. Maybe some of the synagogues used by Jewish worshipers on the seventh day were used by Christians on the first day, but so far as owning a building, that seems to come later. At any rate, evangelism was not limited to that, to just one place and one day a week. Let's look at Acts 5.42. Daily in the temple 
and from house to house, in some translations in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The American standard, they cease not to teach and preach that Jesus is the Christ. When did they do that? Daily in the temple and in every house. Daily in the temple and from house to house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Paul in Acts 20 talks about instructing from house to house and shunning not to declare the whole counsel of God. But notice the daily in Acts 5.42. Daily declaration. Daily declaration. Acts 8.4. They that were scattered abroad whenever we're preaching the Word. Who's doing that? Well, uh, supported public proclaimers. No, not limited to that. People that had been over to the Antioch School of Preaching and had that intensive two-year period of study. No, not limited to that. I believe in such uh, kinds of training programs, but the book doesn't say that. When you look for the antecedent of the day, it's the church mentioned in the previous verse. Scattered under the brunt of heavy persecution, and as they're scattered, they go everywhere preaching the Word. Philippians 1.14, we looked at this not long ago on a Wednesday night. Most of the brethren, because of my bonds, are become more abundantly bold to speak the Word without fear. They could have been cowed. They could have been intimidated. Paul is in prison and they could have said, this is the propitious time to keep silent. Not so. They've become more bold to speak the word without fear. Who's doing this? Well, not uh, financially supported public proclaimers, at least not that exclusively. Not the fellows that have been, as I put it facetiously, over there to the Antioch School of Preaching. This is most of the brethren. That's how they got the job done. You know, the Thessalonian church at the time that Paul wrote, 1 Thessalonians was a young church, hadn't been in existence very long, made up of new converts. And Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians 1 and about verse 8, from you has sounded forth the word of the Lord. Sounded forth translates an expression in the, uh, in the Greek language that could describe uh, a blast of thunder, a peal of thunder or a blast upon a trumpet, a loud reverberating sound. From you has sounded forth the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad. Do you get the picture? They that were scattered went everywhere preaching the Word. Most of the brethren are become more abundantly bold to speak the Word without fear. A young church made up of new converts in Thessalonica, and yet from them has been sounded forth like a mighty peal of thunder, reverberating through Macedonia, Achaia, and in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad. And so Paul can write in Colossians 1.23, and this is so amazing, about three decades, roughly, after Jesus said, go preach it to every creature, Paul can write, the hope of the gospel has been preached in all creation. We can't say that. You know, we talked this morning about the fact that this is a day of glad tidings and we hold our peace. We better go and tell. Will you not tell it today? We can't say that. But Paul said, the hope of the gospel has been preached. Why? I'll tell you one reason why. Daily declaration. The preaching, the teaching was not limited to one day in one place. But it was a matter of daily in the temple and in every house. They ceased not to teach and preach that Jesus is the Christ. So it was done then by Christians generally and not just a few. And it was a daily kind of declaration. And that kind of teaching and that kind of preaching will still have an impact. And might enable us someday to be able to say something like, what Paul does in Colossians 1 at 23. The hope of the gospel hath been preached in all creation. In the spirit of the lesson this morning, and in uh, very much harmony with our point just here, let me share with you a verse I think I've probably used before. 
written by a gospel preacher in the familiar style of Flanders Field. We're the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunsets glow. You did not warn us, and now we lie in hopeless graves. With the gospel you must go, and love of souls condemned, we show this interest. Preach it on high. If you break faith with them who die as you did with us, they too must sleep in hopeless graves. And let me tell you something, friend. That is the impressive summons that would come from the voiceless lips of the unreplying dead if they could suddenly speak. If they could leap to life, if the seal of silence could be broken, the dead would cry out in concern for living loss. And that's not my guess or my conjecture. That's in the book, Luke 16. The rich man who died and was buried and in Hades in torment said, Hey, I've got five brethren on earth. Send Lazarus to warn them. If the dead could speak, they would cry out in concern for living loss. Let's get that kind of perspective right now. And let's be characterized by daily declaration. So that Lord's Day after Lord's Day we can observe the harvesting of seeds that have been sown through the wheat. And when the times come for gospel meetings, these can be times of harvesting because we've all been involved in seed sowing all along the way. Let me tell you about another kind of declaration. Acts 5.42 and some of these other passages we've looked at, Philippians 1, Acts 8, others, have to do essentially with the uh, preaching of the gospel, the teaching of Christ to those who are outside of Christ. But I want you to think about a certain kind of declaration that needs to go on within the body. Probably the better word would be exhortation. In Hebrews chapter 3, at verses 12 and 13, Take heed lest there be among any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. There's our word again. Daily. Daily. Exhort one another day by day in the American Standard. Exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. By the way, these Thursday night meetings in about four different homes, I believe, in the congregation, that's an excellent way to do that. Exhort one another daily, lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The early church was characterized by a daily proclamation of Christ to the lost. And daily exhortation is to characterize us. The body ought to be so close, so family-like, so much of a koinonia and a family and a fellowship that we can very readily, without any sense of embarrassment, exhort one another daily while it's called a day, lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We've got daily delight, and that I think is a part of it. As long as we look upon it as a dreary drudge, it's going to be kind of a one-day-a-week sort of thing to us. Daily delight. They were eating their meat with gladness, and they were enjoying spiritual association Fellowship with one another daily, Acts 2. We have also a daily growth, a daily development. The church is increasing in faith, strengthened in the faith, increasing in number daily. And we have daily declaration. Daily, day by day, in the temple and in every house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now then, daily devotion. Related to that and expressed in that daily dependence. Daily devotion. You remember the language of Luke 11 at about verse 2 or 3, if I remember correctly. You have this also paralleled in Mark 6. It's in the prayer that we've sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. I really think that the Lord's Prayer is a term that would better apply to John 17 as he prays for the apostles and all that should believe on him through their words. But anyway, the model prayer. Lord teaches to pray and he gives a model prayer. And in it he said, give us this day our daily bread. 
And whether we're talking about physical sustenance, and I don't worry much about us there. Boy, if I ever lose my appetite, get me to the hospital in a hurry, because I've always had that. And about three times a day, at the minimum, I'm going to see to it that I take on a little bit of nourishment. Jim Wilson recently asked me if I had breakfast on a certain day, and I said, Brother Jim, I have breakfast every day. I do not try to run the engine on an empty tank at all. There's something about us that usually sees to it that we take care of that, but there's another kind of sustenance that we need daily. Daily bread. Obviously, the model prayer in uh, Matthew 6, Luke 11 is talking about physical sustenance. But whether we're talking about physical food or whether we're talking about that food that's more important. You remember in John 6, Jesus said, Labor not for the food, labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for that that endures to eternal life. That's the kind of food I'm talking about. It needs to be daily bread. You remember Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, that the manna had to be taken up daily? You didn't just go out there and get enough for a week or a month or uh, as long as the in-laws are going to be there with you and so you just get a store. You had to go out there daily and get it. And there's a, another kind of manna that we need to be feasting upon daily, daily. In Psalms 145, verse 2, the psalmist said, Daily, daily will I bless thee. Daily will I bless thee. Day by day I come before thee, lifting up my hand. Some of the renderings have it. Daily will I bless thee. The psalmist was involved in daily worship. You know, one of our problems, we hardly have the time for that. You hear about the guy over in France. He was, in, he was at the uh, Louvre Museum and he rushed in and he said, Where's the Mona Lisa? Where's the Mona Lisa? I'm double parked. And that's kind of the way we live. Where is it? Where is it? I'm double parked. I don't have very much time. I want to urge you to take time to be holy. And as we sometimes put it, take time to behold Him. And take time for that daily devotion. Let's search your heart for a moment. You take time. Did you take time today? This is the Lord's Day, of course. What about yesterday? How's it going to be tomorrow? Time to read the Word. Time to pray. We're not going to grow spiritually without that. We kid ourselves if we think that we will. You can't maintain a certain level of physical strength unless you take on some nourishment. And I greatly fear that many of us are spiritually malnourished and suffer from malnutrition because we are dependent maybe on a few public classes and a few public services, but we have not ourselves individually reserved that time to come daily into His courts and wait daily at His gates and come daily to the Word. There's a daily search involved. In Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is personified. Wisdom speaks up as if wisdom were a person. And wisdom says, Blessed is that man that heareth me, that waiteth daily at my gates. That waiteth daily at my gates, that stands daily at the post of my doors. Blessed is the man that hears me. If we're going to know that wisdom that is from above, And we're going to have to spend some time with the one who gives it. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And wisdom personified in Proverbs 8 says, Blessed is the man who hears me, who waits daily at my gates. And so there needs to be the daily search for wisdom, the daily search of Scripture. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. These were more noble than they of Thessalonica in that they search the Scriptures daily. American Standard, they examine 
the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. The Bereans were more noble than they of Thessalonica. And I can point out some pretty noble things, though it would perhaps surprise some people, about the Thessalonians. They received the Word in much affliction. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 They received the Word as it is in truth, the Word of God, which worketh in you that believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 But they of Berea were more noble than they of Thessalonica, in that they searched the Scriptures daily. And so in this daily devotion, there needs to be the searching of Scriptures and the waiting for the wisdom that's from above as we in prayer and in the studying and in the digesting of the Word have a confrontation with the Almighty. He speaks to us through an inspired revelation. And we unbear our hearts before Him, praying to the One who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let me add to all of this something that is daily and that is most crucial. Without this, there will be no life in Christ, and without this, Christ will not live in you. And you might go through the motions, and you might keep the externals pretty well. And ostensibly and outwardly and externally, you might give the appearance of a faithful follower of Jesus. But real life is dependent upon this principle. There should be in our lives a daily delight and a rejoicing always, always in the Lord. There ought to be in our lives personally daily development, and that ought to be true congregationally. Spiritual growth, numerical growth daily, Acts 16, verse 5. In addition, there must be the daily declaration, as all of us consider ourselves heralds of the good news in our own world or sphere of influence, and we seek with our lives and with our lips to communicate Christ. There must be that. There must be the daily devotion, the coming to Him day by day. But let me add one more thing. The daily death. The daily death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German writer, said, when Jesus calls a man, He calls him to come and die. And that's true. And I want you to look first at Matthew 16, 24, but we'll not stop there. Because the key word we're stressing tonight is in the parallel in Luke 9, 23. In Matthew 16, if a man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, the cross is a means of death. We sometimes say, I've got a heavy cross to bear. What do you mean? Well, students may mean that they have an obnoxious roommate. Or some of us may mean that we serve a grouchy and unendurable boss, or our mother-in-law is going to be with us, or something like that. But that's not what cross means. Cross is not an inconvenience that comes upon us involuntarily. It's a means of death that we voluntarily accept. And you know the parallel. You can hear the words of Luke 9, 23 right now. If a man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. You see, in every man's heart, there is a cross and there's a throne. And when self is enthroned, Christ is on the cross, crucified afresh by our self-will and selfishness. But when self is crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain, its efforts be to rise again except to live for others. When self is really crucified, when we deny self, when we empty self, when we say with Paul, I'm crucified, then, of course, Christ is enthroned because self has been crucified. You remember the song that begins all of self and none of thee, and then finally in the last verse, higher than the highest heavens, deeper than the deepest sea. Lord, thy love at last is conquered, none of self and all of thee. None of self and all of thee, none of self and all of thee. Lord, thy love at last is conquered, none of self and all of thee. 
Friend, the real power is Christ. Living in our hearts by faith. Ephesians 3.17 Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 But before Paul could say, Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20 He had to first of all say, I've been crucified with Christ. A death to self ought to come ideally when the death to sin is consummated in the liquid grave of baptism. It begins there. But it does not end there. Luke 9.23 says, Take up the cross daily. To reinforce that, look with me for a moment at Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians 3 at verse 3, Paul said, You died. You're dead. Past tense. Point action in the past. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. In verse 5, two verses later, Put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. What do you make of that? You died and then put to death. Well, it's very obvious there is a continuing death. We die to self, and we certainly die to sin when it's trusting penitence. We're buried in the liquid grave as one was today. But thereafter, we must continue to take up the cross of means of death, death to self, and daily die to self. In 1 Corinthians 15.31, Paul said, I die daily. Now, I would admit that in that context, Paul may be talking about the extreme, very literal persecution that come upon him with great power and frequency. But we could borrow that language. In the light of Luke 9.23, we could borrow that language and say, I die daily. And it is that continuing death to self that enables us to say, Christ lives in me, and there's the power. He's the dynamic of his demands. Paul comes to the end of the way. And he writes, I'm already being offered up. I'm already being poured out as a drink offer. The time of my departure, he uses that word for a loosing. That could mean the loosing of the mooring ropes of the ship, or the removal of the harness from the tired animal, or the falling of the fetters of the captives. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, who given to me in that day, and not unto me only, but unto all them that have loved His appearing. Paul, the great race runner, is about to break the tape. And Nero's executioner will soon sever head from body. And a far from despondent Paul, an exulting and rejoicing Paul, sees the crown, the victor's crown, and he rejoices in it. This is probably the time when there's some reflection over life. wonder what he remembered. The great speech on Mars Hill before those Greek philosophers? Coming in before young King Herod Agrippa? Was that it? Remembering perhaps the farewell address to the Ephesian elders, I have an idea that it wasn't a matter just of great mountain peaks through a great life of service. But it was that successive collection of unnamed and unstudied events. The day-to-day life of one who writes in 2 Corinthians 11 at about verse 27, and beside that, from without, that which presseth upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul's life, like the life of every Christian, was lived daily. And when he comes to the end of the race, I don't think it was simply a matter of mountain peak experiences that came to mind. But it was rather a matter of a daily death, daily devotion, daily development, daily declaration, and a daily delight, rejoicing in the Lord always. And Paul adds, and again I will say, rejoice. Friend, I want to urge you and I want to invite you to embark upon 
an experience that is lived out daily. But it's the greatest life. It's the best life. First Timothy chapter 4 at 7 and 8, Refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for bodily exercise is profitable for a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life which now is the best way to live right here, day by day, is in Christ. Having the promise of the life which now is and that which is to come. Why don't you, even this evening, emulate the example that's already been set this day, and emulate the examples that we have upon these pages, and believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, that He's God incarnate, that He is the Anointed One, the Savior, repenting, turning from sin, allowing godly sorrow to bring about a change of will in regard to sin. Confess the sweet name of Jesus, be buried in the liquid grave, come forth to walk in newness of life, and follow Him faithfully, denying self, and taking up the cross daily to follow after Him.